0: I've just about had enough of you. I'm more the machine. A oh, man
1: without
0: a kid. I am at your disposal with 187 other languages along with their various dialects and sub Dialects and sub-tongues.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of 50 Years of Shit Robots with Matt Brown and Stephen Murray. Stephen Murray. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen Murray. Hello, Stephen Murray. <laughs> um, we had on our on the podcast last week. We had Louis Stoll chatting about Buffy and the robots in Buffy. And one thing that came up was Pinocchio. We've mentioned it before, haven't we? Now, why is Pinocchio important in the context of robots?
0: In robot law, it's uh, because
1: there are certain robots who want to be human. Okay, so that's this is sort of like a Pinocchio syndrome. Yes. So I saw. Um, the new Pinocchio film. Which one? There's three. The one I saw is the one by uh, Guillermo del Toro. Oh, lovely. Have you seen it? No, I've seen clips and all my colleagues
0: in the animation department are raving about it.
1: It is really... I mean, firstly, it's so beautiful. Yeah. It's so beautiful. And it has the sort of aesthetic you might... You, if you've seen any of his films before, like Pan's Labyrinth uh, or Shape of Water. It's got that sort of aesthetic to it. Dark. Very dark, stop motion. I thought it was just brilliant. Yeah, it's really worth seeing, I would say. Um, and particularly within the context of the chats that we've had on this show recently uh, about Buffy and about Bicentennial Man. Um, I think it's, it's well, worth, well worth a watch if you love um, a robot.
0: And lest we forget the Tin Man.
1: You're saying that there's two sort of syndromes that robots have. One is <laughs> Pinocchio, where they want to become a person. Mm-hmm. And so what's Tin Man. Uh, He wants to have a heart, he wants to have feelings.
0: Just because I'm presuming that I could be kind of human if I only had a heart.
1: So, on today's episode, we are looking at two films, um, both of which have similarities, but they are separated by about 40 years. Um, The first film. separated by charm. (laughs) <laughs> job. but which is which We there's that, that, a conversation to be had um, so the first film we're going to talk about is called The Perfect Woman it's a film that was made in 1949 um, and it starred Trisha Rock,
0: Stanley Holloway, Nigel Patrick Miles Mallison Irene Handel and Pamela Davis
1: Davis Pamela Davis <clears throat> as Olga the Robot um, so Yes, yeah, so it's got a couple of sort of like big hitters in there, isn't it? It's got uh, Stanley Holloway is sort of the... I mean, he's not the lead character, but I think on the posters he's like the first name that you see. He's the biggest star there. Yeah. Huge. Huge star. Um, so that's the first film we're looking at. And the second film is um, Weird, <laughs> Weird Science, oh. the Kelly LeBrock vehicle. And part of the reason that we're chatting about these two films is because *The Perfect Woman* is 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 the next film that we need to to look at in terms of our fifty years between nineteen uh, twenty seven and nineteen seventy seven. But also something that Louis was talking about last week in terms of the Buffy bot in Buffy being created as the sort of perfect woman, as an idealized form of of womanhood based on what I what, suppose what men think. So it felt like that doing these two films off the back of that chat with Louis made sense because they're essentially both films about men constructing women. So let's kick off with The Perfect Woman, which is, I mean, it's sort of classic 40s British farce, really, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it is very much very British. Um, You've even got a Jeeves and Worcester type character, a guy and his valet.
1: Yeah. And so Stanley's
0: not being paid and you've got that kind of dynamic between the two.
1: Yeah, Stanley Holloway plays the, the valet. He does. Uh whose name is Ramshead. Yes. Uh he's who's and his nickname by um Cavendish, who's who's his boss, is Barbar. And there's quite a I tell you what, I'll I'm gonna play the the, the, the scene now to explain the name Barbar, because it's it's sort of quite tortuous, quite British, quite farcy quite 1940s, but it'll give you a sense, a real sense of the sort of tone of the film.
0: Ah, you're the young man who telephoned, Mr... Uh, And uh, this is Bubba. Uh, Mr Bubba.
1: Uh, his real name is Ramshead, but I, I call him Bubba because, um, well, Rams, uh, lamb, sheep. Bah, bah, ba bah. So,
0: uh, the film opens with the two main characters, Stanley Holloway and Nigel Patrick, as the down-at-heel upper... Is he middle class? Yeah, he probably he's is. He's just isn't he? middle class, he's not upper middle class. So he's milked his auntie of as much money as he can possibly get, and he's down on his heels and he's looking for a job. Look, there you are. Wanted. Young gentleman with good connections in search of adventure. Substantial remuneration for a suitable applicant. Phone Hempstead 8161. And so we kind of cut then to the house where the professor lives, and he gives a big explanation of how he's created this uh, robot, which is um, in the image of his niece.
1: Yes, it is. Uh,
0: and so you, you you meet all the characters. You meet Irene Handler as Miss Butters or Buttercup, and you meet his niece, uh, Penelope, and you meet the robot. And then... At the door, um, the the two uh, protagonists arrive, and uh, a little
1: bit of farce ensues. Essentially, what what's going on is that the, the the professor has built this robot, and he needs to test it out, doesn't he? He needs to give it a yeah. road test, and so he yeah. wants he wants Cavendish and Ramshead to take it out for the night. Yes, but. Uh the the niece is angry because she wants to go out and she's never allowed out because the, the professor always focuses on the on the robot. And yeah. so there's this there's this um situation where, where the niece contrives to to replace the robot with herself yeah. and then she gets taken out for the night.
0: Yeah, and there's a set of instructions on how to make the robot move and how to make the robot do things.
1: That's right. So you you have to tell it what to do, don't you? Yeah, you do. If you want it to stand, you have to say stand. If you want it to walk, you have to say walk. If you want it to stop, you have to say stop.
0: So you can see there how the farcical things are going to happen. You will say stand, and she'll stand, turn, and she'll turn, walk, and she'll walk. And so they end up in this hotel... Hotel
1: Splondide.
0: Hotel Splondide, uh, and the only room that can get in is the bridal suite. Uh, the auntie turns up, and she thinks they're married, and uh, they have to eventually bring in the robot to prove that what they were doing was was just looking after a robot.
1: So it's it's a it's a mistaken identity sort of yes, plot, isn't it? It is. It's it's just it's just a lot of. People going through different doors yeah. and all of that sort of stuff. It's a very British farce. A very British farce. One thing I've got in here is I put too much farce, question uh, <laughs> mark? Yeah,
0: far too much farce.
1: <laughs> there's a scene where in the hotel there's um, a character who appears, who, who recurs. This the waiter. The waiter in the hotel who's called Vinkel. <laughs> who doesn't understand any English and, crucially, doesn't understand any English mannerisms or idioms or anything like that, and so he's constantly getting confused. It's Manuel. It is, isn't it? Yeah. It is proto-Manuel, you're absolutely right. Hey, what
0: do you want, George? Is your name George? No, sir. Winkel. Winkel? Wolfgang Wilhelm Winkel
1: II. Also, there's this scene, that I mean, there's... I think too much farce as well in the scenes where uh, Cavendish, the sort of uh, upper-middle-class dude, is trying to operate the robot in in the world without revealing to anybody that he is... Uh, operating a robot, so he, you know, he, he will say uh, to he'll say to the robot who isn't a robot. It's the it's the woman. He'll say walk, and she'll start walking, and then he'll forget to to say stop, so she'll end up walking into a wall or something, and so he ends up yelling sh- stop at her. All right, now,
0: uh. forgive me, my What do you think, walking. You see, it's quite simple. Will you see, you're
1: on a stop! stop. And actually, the the that whole thing I thought was. <laughs> Again, I've now got twenty twenty three glasses on when I when I say this, but that whole the whole fact of him getting frustrated with himself for not uh, saying the right command at the right time,
0: not and having he, total power over the woman, not having
1: total power over the woman, and and so getting very frustrated and, and just yelling at her. If you're a character in that scene, you've got no knowledge of the fact that. Of what he's actually trying to do. I mean it just looks like incredibly coercive behaviour, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Someone who gets really angry with somebody because they won't do exactly what he said. But seemingly none of this behaviour rings any alarm bells for anybody. No, because
0: it's British. We don't do that. We don't, do we? Not in nineteen forties.
1: <laughs> no. That's very true. Um one thing that I, I, I thought was interesting was in all of the in all of the robot films we've seen so far there's always a a very explicit reason for robots existing. Yeah. I was thinking back to um the last serial that we looked at which was The Monster and the Ape, The Monster and the Ape, that's right. It very clearly, in fact in the almost the very first thing that we're told in the serial is that is that the robots are being created to make manual labor less of a problem for humans. And that's and there are other films where that's the case isn't isn't it yeah yeah all of them generally right back to Rossum's universal robots
0: they all want to create an army of labour saving devices
1: yeah I wasn't
0: entirely sure why (laughs) why he built the robot and why did he build a pretty pretty robot that looked exactly like his niece yeah that is creepy very creepy in the first place I have made a woman made who he's made a woman you
1: what there's a scene where the middle class dude Cavendish and his and his his valet turn up at the house for the first time and sort of are being told what it is that they're there for what they're going to earn the money for and they think that they're there to escort a woman a young woman out on the town and that's the sort of the extent of what they think it is the professor hasn't explained to them that it's a robot but he thinks he's explained to him that it's a robot. <laughs> So, um, and he says, and again, they the the two the two guys don't don't know that it's a robot yet. He says, "There's no point my creating a most tremendous flourish and then producing a woman who won't work." That is, feels like that's the closest you get to why he might have built the robot in the first place. But even that is like work for for what purpose? Creepiness. <laughs> it's just a total creep. Um, but he's but not he a creep, he's though, not, is he? I was just
0: going to say he's not a creep. He's a bumbling professor, and, and that character, um, Miles Mallison, plays that character all the time.
1: Yeah, he does. And, it's, and it's a, it is such a classic British movie yeah. you know, stereotype, isn't it? You could imagine um, someone like Nigel Bruce or uh, someone like Wilfred Hyde-White. Foyle. Foil, the... Yeah, absolutely, but 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 a total sort of bumbling, whoa, 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 you know, just well, wandering around the place. Quite
0: interesting that you mentioned Wilfred Hyde right, White because he was the other guy in the bet in Pygmalion, which became My Fair Lady, and that's based on a statue coming
1: to life, which is the perfect woman. Yeah, so he's not a he's not a nasty character. This, no. I mean, you could accuse him of being a little bit detached. I mean, his his niece is often heard to, to sort of bemoan the fact that he never takes her out anywhere. He spends more time thinking about his robot than he thinks about her. But I mean, what's she doing?
0: Uh, nothing. She just moans about the house, doesn't she? <laughs> and She just whinges to uh, Irene Handel. Yeah. And Irene Handel is the, the most mischievous one because it's her idea yeah. but, to replace the robot so she can get a night out.
1: She's great. And why is it that Irene Handel, who we've already seen in this series, um, playing a role in the Metal Mickey TV show, um, why is it that she always looks exactly the same age?
0: Oh, I know. It's like Charles Hawtrey, They were born old.
1: Yeah, she just looks brilliant. And she can't be very old in this. She must be almost in her 20s, I thought, in this film, isn't she? No,
0: but her character is there, is firm, and that's the one she'll play for the rest of her life.
1: Yeah. I mean, and, and she's great. She is. She's brilliant in it. Love it. Um, so in this scene where there's this confusion about who these two guys are supposed to be taking out, they're supposed to be taking out a robot, but they think it's just a a person. There's a, (laughs) there's a little, little moment where the professor, and again, the two guys think that it's still a a real person they're supposed to be taking out, but but the professor explains that he's had some problems with the woman this morning Mm -hmm. and he had to cut her arm off. (laughs) Now at that point <laughs> Cavendish and Ramshead both try and creep out of the room. It's like they obviously feel that he's they've sort of like stumbled into a psychopath's den and they're they're out of there. Um, and then the professor says, "Well, of course I'll pay you." And they stop <laughs> they stop. So they think he's a psychopath, but they stop because they want the money um and they they get paid a 100 pounds 100 pounds up front and then 100 pounds on delivery now i've done a little bit of research this morning Ooh. 100 pounds in today's money is just over 4 grand oh well you would creep back wouldn't you you would creep back. <laughs> <laughs> so they're getting paid a total of 8000 quid for this one night's work and they uh, as you've already said they they end up at the hotel Splendide Sp- sp- splashing out on a bridal suite, mm. and I and I took the trouble of of finding a, a hotel in London and and what what the one night in the uh, for a suite would be, and at the Pelham Hotel, which is a five star hotel in London, as of this morning, you can stay there tonight in their most expensive suite, breakfast included, for six hundred and fifty four pounds a night. Oh well, well, there you go. So you get a lot of change out of your four out of your four grand for that, wouldn't you? Yeah. So no wonder they're doing it. <laughs> um,
0: there what? is a ca- there is a caveat with the robot, though, isn't there? Go on. Well, you you, you must not mention love. Ah! Love, you must never mention that word to Olga. If you mention love to Olga, she'll defend herself with the utmost violence. Anything might happen.
1: Oh, we know the type. <laughs> what what Robot
0: that? has a trigger word. It's the just one more thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's, you, you've taken the deal. You've drunk. You've drunk
1: the elixir of life, and then there's the oh, just one more thing. And so you, you from that moment, you you pretty much know how the last reel is going to end. Mm. But before we get to there, I did find there was a charm, a certain charm to it. Yeah. Um, and part of that, I thought, was there's this extraordinary parade of of minor characters. So we've talked about Vinkel. <laughs> <laughs> the... Never gets old that one. But there's all there's this amazing scene where Irene Handel is taking the robot uh, across London so that she can take it to the Hotel Splendide. She's very confident in doing this, isn't she? <laughs> very confident. <laughs> but there's this amazing scene where <laughs> where uh, Irene Handel and the real robot Olga are sitting on a tube train and they're accosted. By a drunk trophy-winning ice skater, uh, <laughs> who who proceeds to give Olga a cigarette, which she smokes and then smoke comes out of her ears. <laughs> um, and uh, the other there's sorry one other thing that I sort of wanted to mention, which was the there's this sort of I mean the, the end the end third basically is Cavendish the um, middle class tw- twit um, falling in love with Penelope, who has been playing the robot. So, throughout his his encounter with the robot, he occasionally will say, to, in between his bouts of frustration and farce, he will occasionally say, my goodness, she has got wonderful eyes. <laughs> or something like that, <laughs> won't he? Yeah,
0: like a cad.
1: Like an absolute binder. <laughs> um, and And so in the end, he and she fall in love with each other. Now, I just didn't buy this at all. No, 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 not at all. Not least because this that's the sort of character he's portrayed. The idea of love and giving yourself over to love seems just so alien. Like giving yourself.
0: yourself over to love when you think it's a robot and so instantly. Because it all yeah. seems
1: to come together in the end, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Very, very quickly. And within... Like a, a second, they're engaged, engaged oh, yeah. to be wed. They did, they did, they did it all in the, 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 the
0: door. They that's stand in right. the door. There's a kiss. They're engaged, and that's it.
1: So, so at this point, they aren't. The aunt is in the room, uh, Ram's Head is in the room, the real robot Olga's in the room, uh, Penelope and Cavendish are in the room, uh, Vinkle is in the room, and the hilarious uh, sort of Italian emotional uh, hotel manager is in the room as well. And at that point, Cavendish says, but I love her! And then Olga goes absolutely crazy. The trigger word. <laughs> and, that's, and then that's the end. She just basically blows up the <laughs> hotel I think they've
0: done the way to get trampled. Yes.
1: <laughs> and performs a lovely forward role. Yes. Um and but but girl is then there's there's she's she's wandering around there's like um uh stuff smoke coming out of her. She's she's like stiff-armed, stiff-legged running around. I mean, the actress who plays her does a splendid job. A hotel splendide job of the. I the don't whole think thing. she ever went on and did anything else. Well, what, what, where was there to go after, exactly. after Peaked. that? Peaked. Peaked. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to say about it? Uh,
0: the director is a bit of an interesting one. Bernard Knowles, because he actually went on, he's uncredited as being a, a director on the Magical Mystery Tour, the Beatles film. Oh, right. He did make a science fiction film in 1965 called Space Flight IC1, which had a, a, a cyborg in it, called, uh, explained as the first closed-cycle man which basically was a head and a fish ball uh, and the body of a machine. Oh, well, we'll have to have a look at that then. Oh, do we have to? <laughs> this is your rules. You came up with this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have a look at that. Oh, yeah, no, go. it is an interesting film because there's some weird kind of 1984 type sort of... It's 1984 in space. There's some weird
1: stuff going on in there. Okay, yeah. So, the robots... Shit or not shit? Fun, I suppose. But yeah, I'd she, say fun.
0: Is she in it enough, Matthew?
1: Well, I mean, she is. She, yeah. I mean, the the, the yeah, end. Yeah, the ending she is. is she's in it at the end. She's in the beginning. She's in it at the end. So I'd say that having the having a trigger word <laughs> like love, particularly when you know you sort of think it's a it is a, just a a way of you know you're right, love. You know what I mean, there there are lots of ways in which she could be triggered accidentally, aren't there?
0: On the tube with Irene (laughs) Hamble,
1: Exactly. (coughs) And, I mean, if she'd gone off on the tube, plumb and heck, I mean, that would be a hell of a clear-up. So I think on that basis, I'd have to say that uh, she's a bit shit.
0: She is a bit shit.
1: And that she's got no discernible purpose that we can can work out. There's nothing to latch on to.
0: She's just... It's just a, a doppelganger.
1: Yeah. But it leads us nicely onto the 1985 smash hit um, sci-fi buddy comedy Weird Weird Science. At the moment of this podcast, it's it's on BBC
0: iPlayer, and I yeah. did check out what the BBC wrote about it. It said it's a zany fantasy in which a dream comes true for two teenagers, a pair of adolescent computer buffs, unsuccessful with the opposite sex, are stunned by the creation of a beautiful woman in an experiment involving a computer, a Barbie doll, and a centrefold from a pinup magazine. Now, Variety wrote at the time, weird science is not nearly as weird as it should have been and in fact is a rather conventional kids in heat film
1: hmm. is that a subgenre, kids in heat
0: <laughs> oh i really don't so know it is, it's it?
1: just very uncomfortable so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so th- i mean i saw this i didn't see it in the cinema i saw it on video i mean i was like 14 13 14 in the mid 80s so it's right in my sweet spot i was i was the perfect audience for this film And I can remember it being the sort of film that you'd go and have a sleepover with friends and you'd watch Weird Science. And it was amazing. Um, I just loved the film at the time so much. I think you're just waiting for the party.
0: You just want the party because you know that everything that 1980s cinema can offer is going to be thrown at you at that party.
1: Yeah. And I'd I'd say that Kelly LeBrock looks amazing in this film. Obviously, that's a massive objectification. (laughs) Have you watched... Did you watch it recently? Yeah, I watched it, and on taking your advice, I watched it with my 14-year-old son. Oh, excellent. Yeah.
0: (laughs) What did he think? Because I don't think the two main characters now look geeky. No, they don't, do they? No,
1: not at all. I think they'd be incredibly popular. Well, I mean, you say that, but the, the scene at the beginning... This really sets their stall out, doesn't it? And they are creepy in that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're li- as, cre- as,
0: as creepy as they are on um, Big Bang Theory, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, they're, they're, it's a scene where they're standing in the doorway of a gymnasium, school gymnasium, and they're basically watching the girls' gym team go through their paces and then chatting about their fantasies about what they would do with the girls that involved them going out, you know, taking them out and going to a party and, and then two, the sort of two senior girls falling in love with them, and then they're humiliated by Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> they're humiliated by Iron Man <laughs> in that doorway. Um, uh, so I've I've spent quite a lot of time with my son, my fourteen-year-old son. He's he's a big sort of TV and movie fan, and I've shown him a lot of films from the eighties, films that sort of resonated with me when I was about his age, including recently um, uh, the film Halloween. His reaction to Halloween was, this is the most boring film I've ever seen in my life.
0: Yeah. And it, is, the...
1: it's pretty sl- it is pretty slow by current sort of film making standards. I went it?
0: to the cinema to see that with a colleague of mine and uh, one of the students who had left and I was mentoring him and he's, uh, we went to see it and he thought it was the most boring thing and he was in his early 20s. Yeah.
1: And the other film that I, that I showed to him was um, Nightmare on Elm Street. And again, he, he found th- thought that was hilarious from an
0: academic point of view you've got to basically you've got to really stress that this was the first time these had been done
1: yes absolutely so i i mean on that basis he he really liked weird science <laughs> my wow. 14 year old he thought it was funny um and and it, we were chatting as we were watching it i mean it, i think part of his enjoyment was thinking was was seeing things uh like there's a scene in where where uh, Kelly LeBrock first takes the boys out, so they've created her uh, f- from their computer, and she ta- and she's just like she gives them all of the self confidence that they lack, and she takes them out, and they go to a sort of blues bar,
0: <laughs>
1: and I'd completely forgotten about this scene, and it is it, it is it is you know it's a real sort of wincey makes your makes your bum squeak a little bit oh, when you watch it because the sort of racial stereotyping is just so. Hideous and also, um, Anthony Michael Hall's character affects a kind of southern American accent. It, the more he drinks this whiskey, the the, the more he um, kind of affects his accent, and it, and that is it's like, and so, so my son was laughing at that. I mean, laughing at the ridiculousness of it, I should say. Oh, you good, know, he had his 2023 20, specs on as well. And so there was a sort of like a double-edged thing for him. I think that he did enjoy some aspects of the film. Bill Paxton's character, he really loved Bill Paxton's character.
0: I like Bill Paxton's
1: character. Yeah. because he's I got- really do. He, Chet.
0: He's, it, he's, the, he's the most horrible one in it, and he comes out with the most homophobic remarks, but he's like, his hideousness on steroids, but there's yeah. something about him that's... And you get to see his bum.
1: <laughs> you do my Game goodness, over man What a lovely body <laughs> he's got as well It's such an over the top performance from him It's a real sort of scene stealing performance He and gave himself
0: a buzz cut before going on And he never asked anybody But luckily uh, the director loved it
1: It's a hell of a buzz cut as well isn't, isn't it? it But it's his, it's his laugh more than anything that's, That my son really thought was hilarious So he he enjoyed it more than he's enjoyed lots of other of my 80s film night offerings. I think that he was able to sort of look at it, laugh at it in two ways. Firstly, like things that are funny in the film. And secondly, just from a sort of ludicrous 1980s sort of point of view.
0: Now, I watched half of this film with a colleague of mine, leslie Ann, Mm. And um, she spent most of the time with her jaw dropped she came out with a lovely line that she thought that Kelly LeBrock's character, called Lisa, who's named after an Apple Mac computer, At the time it was one of the first computers to be taken out the box, plug it in, and you're away. Okay. Yeah, for about six thousand uh, dollars, and she referred to Kelly LeBrock's character as a mucky Mary Poppins. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is brilliant. <laughs> I mean, let's just spell out the pro- problematicness of, it, of this. So if you've never seen it, I mean, I'm sure everybody has seen it, but essentially two, two 15-year-old boys create a uh, 23-year-old woman
0: from a Barbie doll, a picture of Einstein and some pages out of a porn magazine.
1: Yeah. So they create this They create this woman who we're sort of essentially, for the purpose of this episode, sort of saying is is like a robot or an AI or something, isn't she? We're not quite sure what she is.
0: In uh, the 1990s TV series, she was more of a genie than anything created from technology. Let's just say she is a creation of technology.
1: Yeah. Okay. So first of all, you've got this... Inc- and she is... I mean, Kelly LeBrock is was picked I'm sure to play this because she sort of epitomises that 1980s aesthetic of yeah. like a centrefold model doesn't she and so essentially you've got this sort of highly sexualized, highly confident 23 year old woman teaching two 15 year old boys how to act more confidently and and crucially how to f- sort of fulfil their sort of sexual ambitions and it would be fine all this <laughs> advice if she didn't Snog
0: them and squeeze their arse. Squeeze their bums. Sorry, squeeze their bums. Their botties. Yeah. I I, I don't know whether saying botties is worse than arse, actually, since they were 15 years old. (laughs) (laughs) And then then there's a scene where she goes to a department store to buy some underwear. And that is really terrible.
1: That is because she does say she, she holds up a very skimpy... Air. There's more air. Yeah, negligee or something, and says to the to the to the salesperson but be honest is this the sort of thing a 15 year old boy would like and and it's it's just it's so weird there's but, no reason why they shouldn't couldn't have been 16 there is absolutely no reason and then on or, a
0: legal level yeah. then you you're off the hook
1: yeah exactly Because they
0: cease to be adolescents and in the eyes of the law they're children yeah on a certain level i think she's quite a strong character and she's um She's independent. She's well. She's not independent because she has to do what the two characters say.
1: Yeah, but she's she's very leading, isn't she? She's
0: very leading. Yes.
1: Yes. (laughs) Uh, Um. I mean, at at one point, we while we were watching it, we were we mused on what the film would look like had the Kelly LeBrock character been a man. Oh,
0: we talked about reversing the
1: roles and the two two lads. And even in the eighties, I don't think that would have happened. No.
0: Does she have sex with them? Because there is the scene where the uh, Wyatt gets up the next day and he's wearing her clothes. He's yeah, got her pants on right. and her crop top.
1: That, that's right, he does, and that leads Bill Paxton to reveal his bum, doesn't it? It does, yes. The motivation for the bum reveal. So yeah. those the two films together were an interesting watch. I mean, I don't, I don't think I'll ever watch Weird Science again. No, I'll never watch it again. I'll never let it darken yeah, my rah. door again. Um, but I might give The Perfect Woman. I'd, I'd watch that again. I'd, I'd stick that on with friends. You
0: like it, don't you? You
1: loved it. It's kind of fun I for did, you, I wasn't it? I didn't it? love it because I got a bit bored sort of halfway through because, like I said, there was just too much yeah. farce. Right. But I, I enjoyed the characters. I thought the characters were all good um, and all all funny. And I like the ending particularly because I've just written ends with Robocalypse. Uh,
0: don't make me cough
1: okay so on the next installment we've reached 1951 it's our first 50s film i feel like we are entering a really rich fertile robotic ground you'd think (laughs) and we've got one of our well it's one of the biggies It is, it's Gort from The Day the Earth Stood Still. Right, so we're going to be watching that this week, and we're also going to be watching the Keanu Reeves 2008 remake as well. Compare and contrast, class, compare and contrast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So make sure you follow us, please, on Instagram or Twitter. It's the same handle for both, at F-I-F-T-Y-Y-O-S-R. That's at 50Y-O-S-R. And uh, tell your friends, tell your enemies... Tell anyone you think might be interested in uh, stupid sci-fi, um, because you know the more the merrier. Subscribe and subscribe like. Subscribe and like, yes. Wherever you get your podcast from, so subscribe and like. Uh, so, until next time, have a great week. We'll see you soon. Goodbye. Goodbye. I have made a woman. <laughs> <laughs>